morning, that you would speak to us. And Father, that we may take this story outside of these four walls and share with the world around us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What a joy and a privilege to be here and worship today. And um, many of you just did amazingly well. Just let me commend you with the time change and all. I saw some of you actually arriving early. Now, we know there's a chance some people are going to bebop in here in just a few minutes, and they're going to be arriving for church, and it's going to be over. Uh, but we'll encourage them to come back at 11. But I'm glad you're here. If you're our guest this morning, um, welcome today. We are honored that you're here. And before I get into this morning's message, I want to personally invite you and encourage you to pick up your ticket today to be with us for Christ in the Passover. Um, our friend Greg Savitt and his wife Susan are going to be with us. They've been with us before. Uh, we estimate about eight years ago they were here, and um, he served the Passover meal to us as a church family. He's going to do that again. It's going to be a great part of our experience in preparing ourselves for Easter Sunday. So I encourage you to come. I want the gym to be full, um, every chair taken, every every seat taken taking every table full, so I hope that you'll pick up those tickets today and and don't wait to reserve your spot to be with us. Well, it's hard for me to believe, but Easter is only four weeks away from today, and uh, we have been in our study of the Gospel of Mark since last fall, and we have known ultimately as we progress forward that we would finally arrive in our building up to these days when we have finally um, approached the cross of Calvary. And remember that we are still in the last week of the earthly life of Jesus. We arrived at the final week when we got to Mark chapter 11. Uh, This morning we find ourselves in Mark chapter 15. And so we recognize that it takes six chapters to cover the final week of Christ's earthly life. And this morning the drama gets even more serious because we've already come through the betrayal We've already come through Gethsemane, and today we arrive at his trial and his torture. So I invite you with me this morning to take your Bibles in hand. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And before I read the text, let me just say this. I'm super excited to be back in the pulpit today. I've been out for two weeks in Mexico preparing mission trip, and last Sunday our guest speaker from our men's retreat got to preach, but I was awfully envious of him because I wanted to be here. So I'm thankful that you're here, and I'm thankful I'm here this morning. Mark chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 1, we'll read all the way down through verse number 20. And here's how it reads. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. 
What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. Church family, before we're seated today, it's my prayer as we take this step into this text that we would actually choose, that it would be our personal verdict to name Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords of our lives. God bless you. You may be seated. Church family, today we are going to isolate three episodes And we're going to discuss the meaning of those episodes then, and then we're going to discuss the meaning of those episodes now. And the three episodes, just to get ahead of it this morning, are going to be these. First, there was an episode of silence in which Jesus was tried. Second, there was an episode of substitution in which Barabbas was released. And third, there was an episode of suffering where Jesus was tortured before the cross. And after we walk through all three of those episodes, we're going to conclude the message today by reopening the trial of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the first episode is this, silence. An innocent man is falsely accused. Folks, the right of a trial is a cherished American freedom. We believe it is our right to a fair and just trial. And and to get into that discussion today, I want to tell this story. It reminds me of a cowboy who lived during the Wild West days. He was arrested for stealing horses. The judge stood before him that day and said, Sir, you're accused as a horse thief. How do you plead? The old cowboy said, Not guilty. The judge said, you have a choice. You can be tried by a panel of three judges or by a jury of 12 of your peers. And the cowboy said, I don't understand the word peers. Who would they be? And the judge said, a a jury of your peers means that they are people just like you. And the cowboy thought for a second and said, well, I'll take the judges because I don't want 12 horse-thieving judges judging me. So Americans love a fair trial. But folks, Jesus was not afforded a fair trial. His trial had both a Jewish phase and a Roman phase. In the final verses of Mark chapter 14, we read that Jesus was arrested in the garden. That's where we were before we took this break in our study. And that tells us some things because the only Jews who were allowed to legally have weapons were the temple police. These were the men who bound Jesus up, you might remember, and they led him back up those same steps he had earlier descended after the Last Supper, and they carried him to the house of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. 
Now, Caiaphas' house was, we can imagine today, was somewhat like a police station. Uh, There were prison cells there, and by this time, it was after midnight, and Jesus was probably placed in one of those holding cells. Now, when I get to this point in the sermon, and I get to this point in the narrative, I always go straight back to where we were in the Holy Land, and many of you have been to this exact location. You see, on several of our trips to the Holy Land, we saw the ruins of this very facility, and there's an ancient cistern there where prisoners was placed. It was dark in there. It was lonely there. And after Jesus most likely was placed in there, word was sent out all through Jerusalem about Jesus, and 23 members of the Sanhedrin were woken out of their sleep, summoned from their beds to conduct a hasty trial for this rabble-rouser from Nazareth. Now, we need to understand today that if ever there was a kangaroo court, this was it. Trial at night was illegal in the Jewish world. False witnesses had to be woken up and found in the middle of the night. And here was Jesus standing before this charade. Well, Jesus said very little in his defense. Caiaphas accuses him of blasphemy. They declared him guilty, deserving death. The Jewish court couldn't issue a death sentence. So then only the Romans could do that. So the very next morning, Jesus was then carried to Pilate. Now, who was Pilate? Pilate was the Roman governor. So the Jews said, this man is claiming to be the king. That's treason. Pilate, what are you going to do about it? So Pilate asked him, as we read in the text, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus basically responds with, you said it. And then the Jews start flinging all kinds of accusations against Jesus. But in the face of these withering accusations, Jesus did not say another word. He didn't try to defend himself. And folks, this was in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy found in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Folks, this was the first episode of the trial and the torture of Jesus. He was silent. When I read those verses and those words out of Isaiah 53, I I can't help but think about the story that I heard about a couple who visited New New Zealand. Beautiful country it is. More sheep there than people. And and this couple, they went to this working sheep ranch and they watched how the wool was removed in the sheep shearing barn. They watched how one lamb did not necessarily want to be sheared, but once the farmer started with the electric clippers, the lamb finally relented. And the couple, as they gazed upon this scene, they were struck by how that lamb was shamed, how that lamb was undignified in all of these happenings that were occurring to it. And then that lamb looked straight at the couple with a desperate look on its face. And the man thought in that moment, that's exactly a picture of the Lord Jesus. He was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he was faced with shame. He was faced with indignity. And he did not say a single word. The episode of silence. An innocent man was falsely accused. The first episode, silence. Silence. 
The second episode is substitute. A guilty man is graciously excused. So let's go back to the story. You can tell from the narrative this morning that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. So he figured out a plan, or so he thought, since it was Passover, it was a custom to release a guilty prisoner. And Pilate asked if he could release Jesus as the Passover pardon. But the religious leaders would not stop. They stirred up the mob and they had them shout, Release Barabbas! Does that bother anyone? Who was Barabbas? Well, if you know the story, Barabbas was a part of an insurrection movement against the Romans. And in that mob mentality, in that insurrection, they had committed a murder. The Romans would not let this stand, and so they arrested him. He was going to die, right? And I've got to be honest with you, I've never really liked Barabbas. I have a problem with Barabbas. I've always been angry at Barabbas. He was a murderer and he got off scot-free. And to me, Barabbas has always been synonymous with somebody who's a scoundrel, a sinner, a murderer. He was declared innocent, however, and Jesus took the cross that was meant for him. How many of you feel like I do? But you know, when I look inside myself, I realize the reason I don't really like Barabbas is because I am Barabbas. Barabbas and I are in the same sandals. And unfortunately, I need to tell you that you're Barabbas also. You see, we're the guilty ones. We're the scoundrels. We're the ones deserving of punishment, but we're the ones who get to go free because Jesus Christ died in our place. Steve Ty was a songwriter, and he wrote a song actually entitled, I Am Barabbas. And I'm going to show you the words on the screen as I read them. The words to his song said, A guilty man, a dissident, a murderer without repent. For all my heinous crimes I am condemned. No offering can pay my debt. No sacrifice or feigned regret. A hellish destination is my end. What man would choose to take my place? I am Barabbas. I was destined for a tree, but I was pardoned by the God who died for me, for his blood was spilled upon my cross and bought my liberty. And now I live beneath the shadow of the cross. You see, church family like Barabbas, we deserve the punishment for our sins. And I've always wished that Paul Harvey had given us a rest of the story with Barabbas. And my question today in saying that is, what happened to Barabbas after he was pardoned? Did Barabbas sit there and watch with his very own eyes Jesus getting scourged and say, Thank you, Jesus, under his breath? Did he follow Jesus to the cross and once again say, Thank you, Jesus, in the privacy of his own thoughts? Did he follow and say, That should have been me. That should have been my blood. We don't know the rest of Barabbas' story, but we know the rest of Jesus' story. 
And regardless of what Barabbas did or didn't do, we should look at the cross ourselves and say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That should have been me hanging there. We have a moment of silence. We have an episode of substitution. And then third, we have an episode of suffering. A strong man is shamefully abused. Now this is the hardest part of the sermon. This is going to be difficult to follow. It's going to be difficult to absorb. You see, before Jesus ever reached that cross, he faced unspeakable torture at the hands of those cruel Roman soldiers. And the text says they flogged him. And you need to understand today that three Roman soldiers usually performed a flogging. One would tie the prisoner's hands above his head to a ring on a wooden post, and the other two held a flagrum in their hands. What was a flagrum? It was a leather whip of nine thongs with pieces of metal or stone embedded in each end of those thongs. And Dr. C. Truman Davis, a physician who studied the medical aspects of the crucifixion, he published this report about the flogging of Jesus. And I'm just going to read it for us today, even though it's difficult. Here's what he said. He said, the heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, his back, and his legs. At first, those heavy thongs cut through the skin only. And then as the blows continue, they cut even deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. And finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons and the entire area is an unrecognizable mess of torn, bleeding tissue. Now, the only way I can envision that is to go to the scene from The Passion of the Christ. And if you've seen that movie starring Mel Gibson, you, you know the horror. And if you think that was enough, it was, but it wasn't all. You see, in the mockery of all that, they put a purple robe on him and they twisted a crown of thorns and they crushed it into his, to his skin above his a skull. They blindfolded him. They struck him in the face. They struck him in the head with a club. At the end of the torture sessions, Jesus, folks, he was unrecognizable. And there was a poem about this suffering of Christ that was written in the Middle Ages in the 18th century. And Bach took that poem and he put it to music and he used the haunting minor key to accompany his words. And, and here are the words. O sacred head, he wrote, now wounded. With grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. How pale thou art with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn, how does thy visage language, languish, which once was bright as morn. So we have three episodes. An innocent man who was falsely accused a guilty man who is graciously excused, and a strong man who is shamefully abused. So now, if you don't mind, as I mentioned to you at the beginning of this sermon, I'd like to call for a retrial of Jesus. 
And I want to impanel all of you who sat here today as members of the jury in this court. You remember that Pilate asked the question, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? And that's the question that now you're faced with. We are reopening the trial of Jesus. Order in the court. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the evidence I present to you are the claims of Jesus Christ. These are the exhibits Alpha through Omega. Jesus went about claiming to be God. He claimed to be the one who could forgive sins. He claimed that he had always existed. He claimed that he is returning to judge the world at the end of time. And so, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, what is your verdict? Now, you only have four choices. First, I need to ask you, was Jesus a liar? I mean, he claimed to be God. But if he knew he wasn't, That makes him nothing but a sinful deceiver. He was a liar with selfish motives. But if he was a liar, then what did he gain? I mean, he died owning nothing but the clothes on his back. And when faced with the opportunity to defend himself, he was silent. If Jesus was intentionally deceiving people... That doesn't make him a good teacher. It would make him one of the most evil teachers of history. But Jesus spoke against hypocrisy and Jesus taught honesty. If he was a liar, then he was also a hypocrite. Yet when you study the teachings of Christ, you discover a moral standard based on kindness and unselfishness. And forgiveness. So was he really a liar? Well, your second choice today is, then wasn't he a lunatic? He made outrageous claims about being God. Was Jesus the most self-deceived egomaniac in all of history? There are plenty of people, though, who have delusions of grandeur. And most psych wards have at least one person who claims to be God. But when you look at the other symptoms of those in those psych wards, you see that every other part of their life is out of balance. Yet when you look at Jesus, when you look at his life, when you look at his teachings, you only see wit and wisdom and love for other people. So was he really just a lunatic? Well, the third option you have today is, was Jesus just a legend? Now, this choice is not often considered, but it's the notion that the followers of Jesus turned a simple man into a historic myth. This theory says that Jesus was just a legend like Hercules or Superman. But here's a response. If the followers of Jesus fabricated this story, then what would have been their motive? Deception usually is motivated by greed or self-promotion. So what happened to those early followers of Christ? Well, they were arrested. They were tortured. They were killed. They died penniless. They died in agony. And not one of them refuted the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. They all died knowing and believing 
with all their hearts that they would join Jesus in heaven. So was he just a legend? Well, if you don't believe he was just a liar, and if you don't believe he was just a lunatic, if you don't believe he was just a legend, then you have another choice. Is Jesus the Lord? Is he the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You see, the only other option is that Jesus is and was who he claimed to be. He's the one and only Son of God who existed before Abraham was ever born. He's the one who can forgive sins. He's the one who actually rose from the dead. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's time for you to announce your verdict. But before you make your decision, I want you to hear the words of the great Oxford professor of literature. His name was C.S. Lewis, and here's how he phrased it. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or even something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. So what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be out.